Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider, Axness. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. And SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproofed handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course, the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSE will cut bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 is also partnered with Petzl 
to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR-3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. Our next guests come to us from Virginia. These two guys, uh, they're doing some crazy cool stuff out there with the way their system and stuff is set up. So state police helicopter, they're running medevac stuff and inter-facility transports and, and then SAR on top of that. So the stories that these guys bring to the table are amazing. So please welcome our next two guests together, Kevin Kistner and Mike Abbott. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Man, we've got some good stories coming up. I'm, I'm really stoked about it. Uh, to make it even better, this is the first episode that we've ever had flight nurses. So we get like the next level of medicine and the next level of care coming up. So uh, you guys don't screw this up. I'm just going to throw that out there. All right. People are listening. They're not just going to listen. They're going to listen. All right. Anyway, so I've got Kevin Kistner and Mike Abbott, both flight nurses with the Virginia State Police. What's up, fellas? What's up, man? What's up? Morning. Dude, I, I love the fact that you guys are on, and I've got two of you guys, which make to double the trouble. That's what I'm saying. Uh, you, you, you don't know what you've gotten yourself yeah. into. Oh, snap. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> awesome. Well, again, welcome, you guys. I, I really appreciate you guys coming on and, and being willing to tell some stories, especially out of Virginia and, like, state police area. Like, are you guys sorry, all about uh, the medicine side and the nurse, but are you guys also law enforcement as well? So it, it's a pretty unique setup here, actually. Um, I work for VCU Health System um, as a nurse. That's Kevin, by the way. Um, and Mike works as a paramedic with uh, Chesterfield Fire and EMS, the local fire department. And so we've got kind of got this unique relationship where we provide the medical services for MedFlight 1 out of Chesterfield, Virginia, for the Virginia State Police. So we're not, we don't, we're not law enforcement officers. We don't, we do the medical stuff. Uh, but the, the other cool piece is we actually uh, do police and uh, SAR work and kind of contribute um, to that aspect of it. So nice. we're not, uh, we're not employed by the Virginia State Police. We're, we're, it's, it's pretty unique to get three entities between BCU and Chesterfield and Virginia State Police that make up um, the MedFlight 1 program. We've also got MedFlight 2 out of Abingdon, which is, further Southwest Virginia, uh, their program is, is very similar. They have a single health system that um, supplies their paramedics and nurses to do the, the medical work with them. Wow, man, that's pretty cool. Bringing as many resources together as you can to like provide patient care and rescue. Like, cause you, I, you know, like, all right. So for everybody out there, I get it. There are hills on the East coast. There are mountains on the West coast, but those of us from the East coast, we call them mountains, right? It's the Appalachian Trail or Appalachian, depending on what part of the, the country you're from. 
All right, those are mountains to us, even though they're hills to the West Coast. Whatever they okay? are, they're, yeah, yeah, they're 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 tall. Okay, <laughs> they so are. I know, I, I know <laughs> you guys are, like do some crazy stuff there too. But before I get into that, I'll tell you what, Kevin, if you don't mind, I know you already started, but uh, give us a little rundown, a little background about who you are and how you became a flight nurse. Yeah, so I um I started my career. I've been a flight nurse for almost seventeen years. I started my career as a um, firefighter paramedic and actually was in my senior year of high school and almost pulled the trigger on the coast guard wanted to go in the coast guard um thought, on, that's, coast guard. thought, that's, thought that's where i was going to end up and um and it i kind of take a it took a, a pretty sudden turn which was what i wanted to do was go to paramedic school so i went to college um and, and got my degree in paramedicine and started working um so i, I grew up just in in Dinwiddie, Virginia, which is just south of Richmond, and then went to Roanoke, Virginia. You're, you're familiar with that area. It's a paramedic yeah. school. Came back to Central Virginia and worked for a couple of years as a firefighter paramedic. Actually, used to work for Chesterfield, um, and but I always always wanted to fly. Always wanted to be a flight crew member. That was I was like that's that's what I want to do. So I ended up um, going to nursing school. Went back to Roanoke. Um, went to nursing school there. Worked for several years in the level one and the ER in the level one trauma center in Roanoke, and nice. then got hired with the the flight program that I kind of grew up admiring um, in paramedic school and uh, Carilion Clinic lifeguard. So I flew with them for ten years, and um, and thought you know like all right, I'm I'm moving out of the fire and EMS world, and 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 that's where all the high speed kind of you know. I got out of the firefighting and got out of the rescue stuff. And I was like, that, all right, that's, I've, I've missed my window, but that's okay. Um, I, I love my job and I love what I do. And then uh, almost seven years ago, um, probably, probably pretty close to the date, actually. Ooh, I got a nice. call and said, happy uh, anniversary. Yeah, thanks. I got a call <laughs> and said, hey, um, uh, they're, they're putting nurses on med flight. And so historically the med flight program here in Chesterfield has been, um, Paramedics. They started with a single paramedic and then uh, went to a dual paramedic program. And, and yeah, so I got a call that said, hey, VCU is is they're collaborating with the state police and they're going to supply the nurses for MedFlight. You should apply. And I, MedFlight was the program I had always wanted to work for. It's my hometown area. The when I was a baby EMT, like looking up to the helicopters coming in, it was always MedFlight. And I was like, oh my gosh, you, you are you serious? Like that's yeah. So, um, are you serious? So Clark? I, are you serious? Yeah, 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 you're serious. Clark. Um, <laughs> Sorry. And so, yeah. No, it's great reference. Great reference. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I applied and, and got hired and, uh, the more I learned about it, the more excited I got. And, um, so yeah, I've been here almost seven years and it's, it's like a, it's like the dream job, man. Like I get yeah. to do the flight nursing role. I get to do, my dad is a retired police officer. Um, so I get to do, he taught me out of going to the police direction when I was coming up in high school. And so I get to do some police stuff, like assist the state police. Um, I get to do some search and rescue stuff. I get to do my flight nurse role. So I, uh, you know, when they say, if you find a job that uh, you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I, I, that's where I'm at. <laughs> brother that is amazing oh, yeah so that's me man that's awesome uh you know i'm right there with you like i i love this job all right mike you're up 
How did hey, you do uh, it? How did you how did you get started? And a little bit of background about you. So uh, Mike Abbott, um, I uh, I started uh, junior EMT back in the early nineties. Uh, local rescue squad. I started volunteering, and then. Um, Went to college and after college, uh, got hired with uh, Chesterfield Fire and EMS. So I've been with Chesterfield for 20 years now. Um, and the MedFlight program, like Kevin was saying, it got started in 84 and um, was uh, a program that the state of Virginia wanted uh, in Central Virginia because they were lacking medevac services here. And the state police and the state office of EMS and Chesterfield Fire had a close knit relationship. They came together, started this program. And as a matter of fact, the helicopter was stationed at our fire station 14 for years. Oh, wow. And they would they would fly it out of the back of the station. Um, so everybody was housed there, the the one the paramedic and the trooper. And um, so all, all of our all of our pilots are troopers, um, and so they're gun-toting law enforcement officers. So we have we have we have that we have that on board we have that on board on every call. Oh so, yeah. <laughs> so if we so so anyhow, so they flew out of fourteen station fourteen for a while until they, they moved here to the uh, Richmond Executive, which is is um, Chesterfield County Airport. Um, in uh, about two or three, maybe three years after being being established, and uh, and then several years after that, they moved to two paramedics. So I, I can remember running calls as a volunteer, and MedFlight swoops in, and these uh, you know paragods get off the helicopter, and they they they, 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 do, they yes, they, they do all their they do all their fancy stuff. Um, and uh, I can remember one specific call. We have built this humongous neighborhood um, in the western side of Henrico County um, called uh, Wyndham. And they were building this house and this guy, this worker was up on the roof and he fell probably three stories off this thing and was in real bad shape. And we were at the time that was that was BFE. That was out of the middle of nowhere for us as the rescue squad uh, now i got the reference i got it i got bfe <laughs> now 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 that's that's like that's like metro richmond i mean that's that's like nowhere i mean you can get to the trauma center in like seven minutes from there but back then the highway systems weren't what they were they didn't have the units out there so we call for med flight he swoops in and at the time they were doing chest tubes and wow. um one of our one of our former flight paramedics here that was uh, instrumental in a lot of the stuff we do, uh, Frank Chin, he comes in and everybody stands back and this this glow takes over the scene and he starts working and it, it's kind of like you know that uh, you know that cartoon the um, the Tasmanian Devil yeah yeah where he where he gets going and there's a cloud that's kind of what it was he was throwing in you know tubes and IVs and stuff and throws his chest tube in and everybody's kind of back and then as quick as they were there they were gone so wow. I think from that point on I I had a at a um, you know an interest in this this job um, but I came to Chesterfield. Did a lot of different stuff. Um, got involved in uh, technical rescue, tech rescue. Um, was a 
regional tech rescue guy, um, got involved in the medical side of tech rescue, was a med medical uh, team leader for the regional team for a while, was stationed at the tech rescue station, did a lot of awesome stuff, had a lot of good rescues um, there and on the technical side of things. Um, Everything from uh, high angle to trench to, um, you know, complicated uh, heavy vehicle stuff. We had 95 ran through our area. So we were all the time running, you know, cars under tractor trailers and stuff on top of people. We had a we had a very extensive um, uh, industrial. Uh, we had uh, DuPont in our first do, Philip Morris um, right nearby. So we had a lot of every once in a while to, you know, machinery entrapment or something like that. So that, that kept my interest for a long time. I loved it. Um, I also became a, we, we, as a, a department in Chesterfield, we provide tactical medics for uh, the Virginia state police's division one uh, attack team. So became a TAC medic, have been doing that for about uh, 12 years. Um, so, you know, do a lot of, do a lot of search warrants, barricades, um, you know, uh, you know, everything from stuff like this, you know, Bridgewater, Bridgewater College incident, Virginia Tech shootings, things like that. So um, got, a, got a lot of decent experience, um, you know, uh, in the tactical world. And uh, then one day um, they came to me and said, hey, somebody hurt their knee. Uh, do you want to go to med flight? And I said, hell yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, ended, I ended up here. Um, couldn't have asked for a better shift partner. The guy that started the program had been here like 30 years. Uh, wow. Ben Gary, Ben Gary um, knew, any, knew anything and everything there was to know about uh, medevac and scene work, um, both the good and the bad, how to do things right and how to do things wrong. Cause he had, I mean, he had done it. He had done it in everything from a, from a long ranger to a jet ranger to a 105, 407, 117, 145. I mean, he had been, he had done it all, configured them all, um, flew three patients in a, in a jet ranger, um, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, he was, he was it. And so worked with him for a while. And then uh, they reduced our, um, our staff in here at MedFlight from Chesterfield side from two paramedics to one for budgetary reasons. And then the state police reached out to VCU and uh, hired VCU nurses. And uh, we've gained a, a huge skill set there. Um, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these nurses that we have, have um, ICU, all of them have ICU, a lot of them have emergency experience and a lot of them have first responder paramedic experience. So, um, so anyhow, so, uh, you know, just my experience in the fire department. Um, during my time with the fire department, I also went back to nursing school, um, became a nurse. I worked on, uh, worked at VCU and Burn for a while, um, Burn ICU, because um, I felt like that was kind of the best fit for me, uh, you know, being in the fire service and uh, loved it. Um, had a lot of great uh, cases there I worked with, uh, a lot of high acuity stuff and um, learned how to be a nurse. And then, uh, and I think that, I think that serves me well here. I feel like at times I can, I can understand and talk some of the talk, but, um, I think from the, uh, from the, uh, I, I think I, I, I think I fit better in the first responder, uh, 
technical rescue arena. And uh, that's what I try to bring to the MedFlight program. And, um, you know, so, so anyhow, uh, you know, Kevin did, Kevin did touch on the, um, the law enforcement side of this program. And, um, you know, one of the things we do a uh, fairly decent amount of is um, just uh, like wide area searches and um, suspect searches and stuff yeah. with our FLIR, yeah. with, our, with our FLIR cameras. Um, so we've all, we've all become, we all kind of got indoctrinated into being FLIR operators, um, be riding the left seat of this, this bird. And uh, we, uh, we go out on a fairly regular basis looking for people that uh, want to be found um, and people that don't want to be found. <laughs> and, uh, people that, it's hide and, and seek. Then, hide and seek. I found you. <laughs> and then people that are, people that are found and you just can't catch them yet. So, um, you know, some uh, pretty exciting uh, pursuits and things like that uh, that we've been involved in. Um, so it's a, uh, it, man, it's, it's, it's exciting every day. It's uh, you know, you'll come in at seven 30 in the morning and by nine 30, you'll be landing in, in at Duke in North Carolina with some critical patient and on the way back, somebody will start running on 85 and you'll jump in on it. And, uh, and Oh my gosh. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So yeah, the variety, man, is pretty, it's pretty big. It, you know, like you said, you're one minute you're doing critical care, the next minute you're chasing bad guys and you come home and you know, give a little bit of a break and restock. And then you're, you know, headed out to look for a missing child or a voice rescue. You know, Mike, I think Mike touched on something that I wanted to kind of expand upon. It, I, I tell you, man, I, I, you know, work for the fire department and, and that the way that a fire department team works is, is pretty, pretty impressive. But this role, like the way we complement one another the, the teamwork really is the best team situation that I have ever been involved in because it's, it's he and I together it, or the three of us together, you know, it, um, we, what we um, get from each other and can kind of share with one another. And it's just, it's the, the best team mentality uh, team unit that I've ever been a part of. That's awesome. All right. So for a team dynamic, let, let me talk about this for a second. So you've got your, your PIC, your pilot, single pilot, or are you flying two pilots? Single. single pilot. All right. So we're running single pilot and then both you guys in the back. So you've got two uh, nurses as well as trained in rescue. So are both of you trained as hoist operators and ride the hook or one is there and yeah. one is, Oh, it's both. Yeah. So we, uh, because the role is so interchangeable, like, like I said, you know, one minute you're chasing bad guys, the next minute you're doing transports, who gets Which search and rescue. Sick. That's freaking awesome. We're, <laughs> we're, we're pretty modular. I mean, if you look at our aircraft, they can, it's not the typical, like when we're in a 407, it's not the typical medical 407 setup. Um, yeah. We do some um, executive transports as well. So all of our aircraft are modular and can kind of be changed around as needed. So yes, we're both trained to do the hoist operator role as well as the uh, rescue technician role. That's freaking awesome. I, I love that. I really, really do. And I, and I talk about it a lot. I, I'm a hoist operator as well. I'm also a rescue guy. I love being able to do both. And it, there's so much value in having that. So when you're in the guy on the ground, you're you know what the guy in the air has to deal with and vice versa. You know, the guy in the air is looking at the guy in the ground and be like, I know the shit you're in right now and I'm sorry. I'm glad I'm in the air. 
and, and I didn't have a full appreciation for that until um, the, the during a training evolution where I was on the hook going down and thought, this looks pretty, this looks pretty sketch. And then I looked up and was like, I know I, she's got me like my hoist operator, the girl that was doing the hoist operating at the time. I was like, she, she's got me. It's I'm good. And just sat back and waited, you know? So yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it's a new appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, let's get into uh, your very first rescue for each of you. So Kevin, if you don't mind, just start us off. What was your very first rescue? All right. So like, like we said, like, this is not, uh, our primary mission here is most of what we do is seeing medevac work, uh, you know, gunshot wounds, stabbings, car accidents, heart attacks, like that's what we primarily do, but we do have a SAR component that we have to be trained and ready for. Um, and so when I was working with, uh, with who Mike mentioned earlier, Ben Gary, after being here for a couple of months, I fell in love with the SAR component and just immersed myself fully in it. I wanted to research it. I was, I'm like, I'm here. I'm going to be able to do this now. This is hell. Yeah. This is what I've always wanted to do. So I sucked in fully. Uh, I mean, I started going to conferences and just, I just jumped in. Um, and it, as, as the time, so that was in, um, I started here in May of 20, uh, July of 2015, right? July of 2015. Um, and the, the, the months and the years kept ticking by, man. And I wasn't getting, I wouldn't get any SAR calls. Like I, I would get them and we would respond and go and they would self-rescue or if it was on the river, the boat got to them first. And it was so, it was just creeping, creeping, creeping until February of last year. And I finally got like full on what I was looking for. Um, so, we um wait time out real quick is this the one where you earned your uh where they they gave you this the the medal of valor yes holy smoke so we're gonna get right in this was your (laughs) very first rescue oh ladies and gentlemen let me just tell you so i i was gonna mention this but now that you're already bringing it up oh snap so this rescue right here earned you a medal of valor from the state of virginia is that accurate yeah yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Retail Merchants Association here in Virginia recognizes um, first responders in the area, and um, my partner and I for the day, um, Nick Renisi, was my my. Uh, he was actually the rescue technician for the day. I was the hoist operator, and then our pilot uh, Vince Mancana. We all got a, a Medal of Valor award for that for for my my first SAR rescue. So here you are waiting years, months, months, years, and you're taking, you're like, what the heck? Wait. When's it going to happen? And then boom. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to SAR, baby. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now we can get into it. I'm so excited. <laughs> it, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so we got a call to, um, and, and like, you know, I've been, I've been built up and let down so many times, right? We get this call. And they're like, hey, uh, there's there's a hiker um, about 150 feet down off the, the trail, off the Appalachian Trail in, uh, in Rockbridge. It's kind of on the line of Rockbridge and Bedford County. And, so, and it was this time last year, so February of, of 21, um, super cold. Um, it had, we've gotten this warm snap. So it had snowed recently. We got this warm snap. And if you're familiar with Virginia, you know, it can be 60 degrees one day and 20 degrees the next. 
and it was one of those days. So it kind of warmed up. A lot of the ice melted. It got cold again and then refroze. And so the pilot's getting some information. And, and the more he's talking about it, the more I'm thinking, all right, this this sounds legit. Like maybe this maybe we'll actually get there. Maybe. And, the, you know, so we reconfigure the aircraft, get all, all, of, all of our equipment. Um, and the flight out there was uh, it's about a about a 40 minute flight. But the good thing is Lynchburg Airport, where we also have just a, an aviation base for the state police, we kind of planning out there. All right, so we're going to we're going to fly out. Uh, we're going to go to Lynchburg, refuel. So we got plenty of fuel for the mission um, and then and then head over and kind of get a brief. So we uh, we're kind of game planning and getting more information as we go. You know, the initial call, you initially like, oh, this sounds really this sounds legit. And then something happens. There's self-rescue that, you know, the initial call, whatever's initially said is not what's going to happen when oh, you yeah. get there. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. and um, right. <laughs> but the more we go and the more information we're getting, I'm like, oh, OK. All right. This is legit. We're, we're going to we're going to we're going to do this. So um, Nick and I are kind of game planning on the way out there, uh, what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, one of the things, because we don't do this every day, um, we're constantly kind of talking about it, even if it's training in hangar or, or uh, you know, just just running through cadence and stuff. We're always kind of going through. Anyway, so we go through. Um, we go to Lynchburg, we get some fuel, we head over and this guy had fallen, like I said, probably 150 foot, 200 foot down a, a cliff, but we're in a 407 or not a cliff fell off of the, this ice um, covered trail on, on the AT. Oof. Uh, AT is Appalachian trail or Appalachian trail. Again, depending on what part of the country you're from. Depending on what I say, Appalachian, you say Appalachian. Yeah. Right. No, I'm, I'm, I, if you're asking me, it's Appalachian, but you know, like. <laughs> tomato, get, tomato. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. As long as we're good. So the AT, Appalachian trail. Yeah. So, so the AT. So um, we locate where he is and. So let me back up a little bit. Right now we're in, we have two different airframes we operated up. Bell 407, uh, which has a breeze Eastern hoist, 110 foot of cable, 300 pound um, capability. And uh, um, H145 or EC145, which has 295 foot of cable and um, 600 pounds. Um, Goodrich or Breeze? Goodrich. Goodrich, okay. So this day we're on the 407 and uh so we locate where they're at but and we're trying to figure out where we're going to insert our uh, rescue specialist and kind of judging we're brushing treetops and or like you know we're at we're at 100 feet 105 feet there's just not there's, there's just too um too little room for air there so we're trying to find another place to uh, maybe a, an open area that's, that doesn't have trees as high. We can insert somebody, fly around, fly around, can't find anybody or can't find a good place to do it. So we end up um, landing at the command post where they had people set up and it took them, um, I think hours, it took them about three hours to hike in, two to, two to three hours to hike into where this guy was at. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah so I, like so, it's two or three hours to hike in package it would be another two or three plus hours to get out so let's actually make it three to four to hike out if you had to hike this guy out yeah oh, when we got yeah. we actually asked those guys how long would it take given the conditions 
how long would it take to get that guy out of there? And they were they were estimating probably six to seven hours to get oh in and out. God. Yeah. Yeah, thank God for a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and that's hoping that's hoping nobody else gets hurt getting him out of there. Oh yeah. That that trail in that area um, is probably what twenty inches wide, yeah, at the most, and it's got it's got a a sheet of ice on it that's angled probably at maybe like a fifteen or twenty, so it's not a flat. So you're trying you're trying your best to just keep your own footing. If you're having to carry somebody out, it uh, it was pretty treacherous. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we landed the command post and kind of tell them, hey, we, with we're kind of limited right now, cable link, and um, and they said well, we've got some guys with some chainsaws. You want us to drop some trees, and kind of game planning with them. Um, we loaded up some equipment and said, all right, yeah, if you guys can get to the ridge line and drop some trees on one side, on the um, I guess on the leeward side, then then that gives us enough space to kind of come in and uh, insert a rescue specialist that can then get to the ridge line, get the, uh, get the victim, and then we can hoist them out from there. So we loaded up. They said, hey, can, can you guys um, drop some equipment off? And so we, have, um, we also have static line that we use just for kind of overhand equipment out of the aircraft if needed. So we loaded up some equipment, water, blankets, um, this guy actually had lost his shoes. Um, he so it was a it was a Liberty University group of runners that I guess like trail cross country runners that were out doing a run and and um, in shorts and t shirt and you know three miles on the Appalachian Trail <laughs> and so on in his fall down the uh, down the embankment he lost his shoes so he was barefoot. So, so we're trying to find a size 10 pair of shoes that we can, can give this guy. Nope, I'm a 12. No, nope, I'm an eight. Should have thrown um, me a Crocs, put it in four wheel yeah. drive. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we load up some stuff. They had some chainsaws. We, we lower with our static line, uh, just lower some stuff, some equipment down to them and said, all right, we're, we're, we're going to go depending on how long we're going to be here since the airport is, you know, 10 minute flight away while they're dropping trees, we're going to go get more fuel to make sure we're good. So they drop, they work on that. When I say dropping trees, we didn't, you know, we, we're requesting them to drop trees, but they're dropping trees in a national forest, <laughs> which, which at the time, you know, nobody, nobody cared. Um, after the fact, there were some questions asked from, uh, I think, the Forester Division, and and you know you got to do what you got to do, and that was one of those things to get this guy out of there. They had it had to be done, but um, for Is that for, one of those, guess, do you ask for forgiveness <laughs> and permission. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Let's just not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> You see what happened was. Uh, <laughs> hey, I didn't run a chainsaw. So. <laughs> I did not touch a chainsaw. <laughs> I, I wasn't there either. So uh, that, that... <laughs> we, we, uh, we just asked if it could be done, and it was done. It was done, Dave. <laughs> uh, so oh we go gosh. back and get fuel, and um, and are, and are kind of waiting for them, and they call us back pretty quick. Had it. Uh, those guys were rocking it on the ground and 
so we go back and and so again my first call is the hoist operator or uh, and i um my partner for the day nick uh was my rescue specialist hook him up we run through all of our checks the plan was to go down uh insert him with the bombing bag and then uh tagline him out um and uh we, what we kind of do is secure them to the rappel plate because we can't the four seven is tight enough that we can't bring them in the cabin and then okay. we just um, i won't say short haul because we secure them in and then just um relocate them to a different uh to an open area landing area so we learned so the quick, are they outside the aircraft as you air taxi kind of so they're hanging outside the aircraft as you're going in but they're secured to the above the landing gear is basically what we're talking about yeah yeah, we, yeah, we don't okay. uh, we don't fly with them. Um, it's a it is, I guess, kind of a very air taxi. They're secondary secured, yeah, um, so that they're not flying, you know, attached to the hoist. And yeah, but they're kind of a outside, right on the edge of the aircraft, or right outside the cabin door. Yeah, to the uh, to the, the our designated LZ. <clears throat> so yeah, that was. Um, talk about perspective and, and really gaining appreciation you train for it you get ready for it and and then so you're doing it you're inserting your rescue specialist and um you're get him down there they already had him packaged up on the ridge line we uh, insert the rescue uh, nick our rescue specialist down to the area that they cleared and they they dropped trees quick man it was like there were lumberjacks up there you know paul bunyan dropping trees like we thought it was going to take them an hour or two and 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, they're like, all right, we've dropped 12 trees for you. Here's your spot. Wow. Um, so we insert uh, the rescue specialist, pretty, pretty straightforward and standard. He goes up there, um, gets him kind of bring him back down the hill. Um, and then uh, extract the victim out with a tagline and he's coming out um, and, and just perspective, like watching, you know, the stuff you train for and the stuff you're ready for and the stuff you like the pucker factor is on. And I'm like, this, this is, this is it. It's real. Like this really is happening. I'm really doing this finally. Um, and, you know, clearing, being able to clear the left side of the aircraft, being able to clear the tail, the the nose as we're below the tree line, looking in the trees. It, it's, it was, like I said, it was a, it was a bit of a pucker factor, but it went smooth. We got him up um, to the aircraft. Um, you know, <laughs> we did kind of, run out of tagline a little bit and that was partially my fault because <laughs> as the hoist operator i'm working on getting him up and and nick on the ground is has got the tagline tight and no spin and we're, we're, we've just got this slow drift back away from the ridge um just because once we, we were on we wanted to clear the trees and so we're slowly drifting back slowly drifting back one of the lessons learned, we need a longer tagline than what we currently had because um, <laughs> we, we got to the end and uh, and Nick's got the tagline and I'm looking down and, and the victim is almost at the aircraft and Nick's down on the ground and got the tagline. And it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the bad boys where he says we're, we're out of road. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nick was out of rope. Like, <laughs> and um, so anyway, he, he, uh it worked out it wasn't a problem we but there is a tagline still stuck in a tree in appalachian trail uh disconnected it dropped it it's in a tree it's hanging there somebody can go retrieve a tagline it's got you know med flight one embroidered on it um keeps but, it. <laughs> yeah yeah 
yeah, it, it, and if you're dropping trees, you can't really say we don't know who did it because there's a tagline and border with you know Med Flight One, Virginia State Police on it. So that's hilarious. Uh, so we transition over to uh, another area. Again, the guy was not um, severely injured. Drop him off with a ground crew. Then we flew back, um, inserted the hook again, retrieved my rescue specialist Nick, and um, and that was that was pretty much it, man. It was uh, you know listen to some of your podcasts and some stuff that you guys do. Not um, not too super exciting. Um, but it's exciting but for me, man. You're on the side of a mountain for a kid that just <laughs> fell 150 feet. They got to drop trees to get somebody in. That is exciting. I'm not sure what <laughs> exciting. What more do you need? Are you kidding I me? I mean, it was it was great for me. <laughs> <laughs> that like that it's what we do to to go get somebody in need. It's crazy. It's but it's awesome. It is. <laughs> it's it's freaking awesome, man. And that's it's so um, <laughs> it's like this is what I have been waiting for since I got here. Like, this is what I wanted to do. It's finally happened. Um, and then, so the next day, you know, shift change, we're, you know, we're walking around here like peacocks, you know, all yeah. super yeah. excited. And, um, and so Mike comes on shift and it's Mike and uh, one of my coworkers, nurses, Chad. And uh, we're like, yeah, we, you know, with this is, and, and most of our training. So Chesterfield is flat. I mean, they're, there aren't mountains, I can say that in air quotes, mountains in Chesterfield, it's flat. So most of the training we do around here is water work, flatland work. Um, and, and we really hadn't done any training for incline or slope or, or mountain work. And so probably what, 2,500, 3,000 feet elevation yeah. um, at in the Lynchburg area. And so that was a new, kind of a new concept that, that we were called and really weren't expecting to go do. So as we were, you know, fluffed up like peacocks telling them, you know, what we had done, they were like, okay, you know, good for you guys. I know it doesn't sound too crazy um, until, <laughs> well, but that was 8 a.m. And then uh, then I'll give it to Mike because. So then Mike, Mike, like you get the next one. So I, I kind of know it's coming, but did you, is your, you got a, uh, or a rescue medal of valor award as we well. Did. Yeah. yeah. So, so for another rescue following this one. It was, yes, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. so, so, Kevin, so Kevin talked about, um, you know, his, his long awaited, you know, rescue. Um, it finally came all this stuff. Well, I kind of feel like my story is just the opposite. So I was, I got, I guess it's lucky. I guess luck might be the right word to use it. If you, if you are, if you're in this business, I guess it, the luck is the right word because yes. I feel, I, I feel like every rescue we got fell on my shift. So, um, so I, so like Kevin was saying, uh, Richmond, traditionally Chesterfield flat, we do a lot of um, river work. Uh, so the James river runs right through the middle of the city. Um, people tend to make bad decisions, um, especially when the river gets up, you know, 12, 15 feet when it's flood stage. They're not supposed to be out there. Um, it can rise quickly um, uh, based on uh, water taken on upstream in the mountains and things like that. So. So anyhow, we uh, our traditional training that we did every year was with the city of Richmond uh, fire department. They have a 
fairly robust water rescue team. They have about a bunch of dibs and they um, tear up the river every summer, riding up and down, saving people and stuff. But every once in a while, and they they traditionally knew their limitations where they could use help and stuff like that. So for a, for a number of years, um, it's kind of slacked off a little bit recently, but for a number of years, they would utilize us on every water rescue or river rescue that they had, they would just just blindly say, hey, get us the aircraft in the air, just because we work together on a regular basis. Wow, we nice. knew their ops, we knew their ops, they knew our ops, we hoisted with them, um, they got on our hook, we would hoist them as victims, uh, let them ride in the aircraft. They they took us off, they took us up and down the river on their dibs, uh, jumping all these rapids and stuff. It's pretty awesome. Um, you know, coming coming over, you know, low head dams and so I mean it's so anyhow, we um on my shift, we ended up doing probably several um, you know, three, four rescues on the river, probably in like a like a maybe two year period. Um, we got deployed several times, but it always seemed like kind of like Kevin was saying, we were, you know, right there, you know, two minutes too late sort of thing. And they yeah. had already saved yeah. them. But my first ever was, uh, had a, had a family. And so at the James, they have these flat rocks. You can walk out to the river. You can get out in the river 25, 30 yards um, by just walking across rocks in some of these rapid areas and kind of traverse your way out there. So this family had gone out, they were having a picnic lunch, unbeknownst to them, the river rose like seven feet in like two hours Holy while, cow. while they were out there um, just, you know, eating and hanging out on this big rock. And all of a sudden they go to go back and they look around. And it's, <laughs> it's like a scene out of like the cop, like the Colorado river and uh, they're trapped. So the uh, fire department had e even, they, they tried, they said, you know, we, we just need y'all to come in and try to get these people out of here. So we had trained for a lot of years, um, not using our hoist uh, as our primary rescue um, uh, tool. We, we utilized a lot of uh, skid pickoff techniques. Oh yeah. So yeah. Bring, Single bring skid air. or like, yeah, yep, light on yeah. wheels or whatever you want to call it. Right, right, right. So bring, yep. so we, so all of our pilots were very comfortable with, uh, with getting in there, uh, tapping a skid, um, door comes open, you're, you're tethered, you reach out, you bring victims in the aircraft and then we fly to safety and make multiple runs or however it was. So, so that day we came in, um, uh, I happened to be in the back. Uh, my shift partner was riding up front. We come in and the pilot's like, Hey, I think we ought to just go straight in. Um, looks like we got a good spot there. It looks like their things are getting worse for them. They had probably a, at that point, like a four by four area that hadn't been um, engulfed yet. They had uh, two kids and a mom and um, came in and stuck the skid right where we needed to. Um, pull the kids in. Unfortunately, we had to leave the mom hanging onto this tree for, for the time being, um, cause I just didn't have any more room in the back and, um, got the kids only took us maybe a minute to get the kids where we needed to get them. 
and uh, a police officer was there to meet us and we spun around, came back, grabbed the mom, brought her out, landed back where we were and um, had a discussion with them. But uh, so, so uh, over the course of time, um, you know, we saved everybody from that family to a dude that was, uh, I don't know if you remember when Pokemon, Pokemon Go was oh, real popular. Yeah. God and these, bless and these people, freaking game. People would walk around with their phones <laughs> in front of their face. Pay, yeah, they wouldn't pay attention to where they run into. They people got hit by cars, all kinds of stuff. Well, this guy got stuck like waist deep in this like swamp mud, um, like in this remote spot of the river where people you just don't get to easily without walking an hour down the train tracks. And uh, we ended up getting in there and having to dig him out. And then we had to do fall off a cliff right there. There are some little cliffs there. So over the course of, um, you know, probably 18 months, two years, we had several um, opportunities to do some interesting rescue type stuff. But it wasn't until that February day that um, I had done a overland um, primarily overland type rescue at 3000 feet. And, um, so Kevin talked about, uh, you know, we came in and we got every bit of Intel we needed on how to do this rescue that day without knowing we were going to need it. Um, right That's then. Awesome. Yeah. So we Way sat go, there. Kevin, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was yeah. Good. They were proud. They were proud. <laughs> Yeah, so we. Hey, when this we, happens to we, we you, this there. is what you gotta do. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, I mean, he had a he had a you know a whole you know outline for me, and we just followed it. So we sat, sipped coffee, talked about the call. They gave us you know a lot of details. You know who they worked with, their comms, all that kind of stuff, how they did it, and uh, we just absorbed it. And then about midday. Um, a call comes in. I mean, it was like deja vu. Um, you know, I, you know, it's probably only happened to me one other time and it was, it was my shift. So we had a, we had a call one day for, uh, a child that had overdosed on some of his parents' medication. And, um, we go to this remote airport in rural Virginia, pick this kid up. Um, he's in bad shape. We do what we can for him, take him to the hospital. Uh, he survives. Um, there's some, you know, family dynamics and, uh, next shift day I come in and, um, the buzzer goes off and, uh, it was almost like they were repeating the same call. So we go back to the same airport and pick up the same kid the following shift day for the same overdose. Um, <laughs> Same scenario, oh, same everything. And uh, it almost seemed like that, like that had happened to me. So I'm sitting here thinking like, this is, this is only happened to me one other time. This can't be, this can't be real. Like somebody's got to be playing a joke and uh, no, but it really was. We went out to uh, the same area of the state, Bedford County, Rockbridge County, uh, same, same ground rescue crews for the most part from the day before. Um, same distance in, same uh, trail, uh, icy, and um, but the distance in 
I think affected them and the number of people they had that day affected them getting to the, the victim as quickly as they did the day before. Uh, I don't know, maybe they had maybe they had celebrated their rescue the night before and were uh, coming off of a of a of a, a party or something. Maybe maybe they were a little slower that day. I don't know. Oh but my I mean, fantastic, fantastic guys. I mean, they uh, they know those mountains you know, ex I mean, they're excellent at what they do. They got in there, did the same exact thing they did for Kevin and Nick. Um, only thing is it extended our operation into nighttime. So all of our, all of our rescue ops were done under, under nods. So um, oh, we did. Well done. So, yeah, which, uh, which we had, we had done before um, the year before uh Another colleague and I, Shannon, had done a, um, a hoist rescue out of Nottoway County where we had some folks trapped from flood wars and Hurricane Michael at like three in the morning, two in the morning. We did it under nods. And um, I remember, I remember, you know, it's not something we, we have trained on it. And it's, it just it's just not something that you are, you know, super accustomed to until you do it a bunch. And I remember. Uh, I remember Shannon, she, she looked down into this hole where these guys were on this car and she said, man, this is dark. And I looked at her, I, I got on my, and I said, well, um, you might want to flip your, your nods down. Um, <laughs> and she said, oh, crap. So she flips her nods down. She's like, that's much better. Um, so, uh, but. Uh, MVGs, you know, they it, are a beautiful thing. It's amazing when you get them It on. is, it is. So, uh, so Chad, Chad on our call in Rockbridge, he was the, uh, he was the hoist operator. I was the rescue technician. So flip flop from Kevin and Nick. Um, so I got the perspective of going down. Um, they cut some trees for us. I went down. They, uh, we put them in the bombing bag. A uh, guy had suffered a head injury. Um, he was altered, but still talking to us, had some orthopedic injuries, a fracture or two. Um, he had fallen about 150 feet, tried to self, tried to self rescue and then fell 300. So, <laughs> yeah. so oh, he, no. he had made an attempt to get out of where he was and got probably halfway back to where he needed to be and lost it again. And it sounds, it sounds, you know, I guess for people that work in these trains, they, un they understand this kind of stuff. Um, but you know, once you start going, it ain't no stopping you. The only thing that stops you is a boulder or, or a solid tree, even these yeah. saplings yeah. that were there, you just, you just cruise over top of you just, it's just so steep and so icy that, uh, you're, you're moving. So they luckily got him, you know, stabilized where he needed to be. We, uh, we hoisted him out. Our tagline um, worked better. It, it broke um, where it needed to break in the, uh, in the, uh, the weak link. And um, they flew him off, got him to where the only, only hang up for us was comms. Where their comms worked well, our comms stopped working. Uh, I didn't have comms with the aircraft, so had to use the um, – the ground guys comes to their command post to back to the aircraft. So oh, we had, we had a little, neck, but I get it. It was, yeah. it was, um, but it, it worked out. They, they came back for me. We had, 
um, and I'm not sure, I can't remember, Kevin can speak to this on their call, but we had actually uh, lined up a second helicopter to come in and stage for us because for us in, this, in the 407, we have to um, configure some things on arrival to accommodate uh, a lot of the hoist stuff that we do out of it. So we have to take our stretcher litter out that we do for medevac, some of yeah. our bags, yeah. We take our monitor and our, you know, our $30,000 monitor and $50,000 ventilator out of there just to avoid any problems. Um, and uh, so we're not, a, we're not readily able to just transition from a rescue to a medevac operation um, like that. So we, we wanted to be able to hoist to the, um, to the, uh, casualty collection point and then have him readily taken to immediately taken to the hospital without delay of us having to come back and reconfigure and stuff. So we had another helicopter on standby there and the ambulance um, took smart. care of it. And we made sure that the ambulance we were getting had a paramedic on it. So we didn't delineate from the high level of care. They got, they got the patient, the ambulance and, and proceeded to the, um, the other LZ. So it was, uh, it, it was seamless. It worked well, everybody, uh, you know, I think for us being a night operation, um, you know, safety, safety is always a big factor, but, you know, uh, I think for us, we, um, we, we kind of slowed down a little bit more than we normally do and, uh, kind of took in the sites and, uh, it, um, it worked out awesome. I, I honestly, after the fact, um, I'm glad I was not the hoist operator. I'm glad I was on the ground. <laughs> I'm glad, even though I was, even though I was dangling, you know, below the aircraft, I, I, um, I have a lot of appreciation for what Chad did, uh, looking down into that darkness uh, with those nods and trying to uh, make sure I got to where I needed to be safely. So that's, that's pretty awesome. So then the next yeah. day you can come to work and look at Kevin and be like, yeah, but we did it at night and then walk away. <laughs> right. Right. I, I got, I'm sitting at home. I got a glass of bourbon in my hand. I'm sitting at home that night that, that, that they did theirs. And I get a text that says uh, they're doing another one in Rockbridge County. And I was like, another what? And they're like, they're doing another horse mission, same area. And I was like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> no, they're not. And so I pull up the scanner and I'm, I'm listening to the, I'm like, holy crap, they're, they're, you're right, exactly. So, I had a glass of bourbon and, and listened to their operation uh, <laughs> while they were doing it. The exact the twenty four hours later, I think I think I think for us, um, you know, we were kind of the front end of a uh, about a six a six hoist call run that we had. So we were we were we were probably one and two of six five or six that we did in February of that year, of this past year. Um, in that area, in that immediate area. So um, we got some notoriety for that and people learned about what we did, which before I don't think was as, as readily known. And um, it seemed like every call they went on, we got, we got the knot, we got the tap and got to go. And they, they hoisted uh, several of our crews hoisted people out of um, some precarious spots on those mountains that um, uh, I think we had maybe five, five ones we we got out and then one um uh was a 
was one that was a recovery and we didn't do um, that, uh, unfortunately, yeah. but so. So I, a quick question for you guys is, um, first of all, amazing job for you guys and your crews coming in there to get the rescues and, you know, people falling. I, Kevin, I know you said it, you're like, oh, it's kind of benign. No, bullshit. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> and, you know, those guys are in trouble and they're calling for help and, and you guys are coming to get them. Um, the fact that they got to hike two and three hours in just to get to the patient. I'm all about a helicopter. I know it costs more money. I know I, I get all that. But when you talk about time and resources, you could just go in, hoist them out. You'd be in, 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 out, done in 20 minutes. And now we're on our way to a higher level of care. I, I'm all about it. So anyway. Yeah, but, I mean, you can't beat it. Yeah, it's when you look at the time, it takes 20 to 30 minutes to do everything beginning to end versus hiking somebody out five hours. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. And anybody out there that's listening that, that doesn't realize that, man, find a local – the local guys that have a helicopter somebody's got a hoist it, like it's starting to be a, a thing like you know new mexico has theirs uh arizona has theirs virginia's got theirs you know it's out there like you just got to make a call you got to know who to call um but question so what when you guys go down uh to the scene what are you bringing for equipment as far as medical equipment you know you said the patients were already packaged but are you bringing a full als kit with you um, it's something that we're kind of discussing and looking further at now, you, you know, there's been a, um, a transition and a growth of our hoist program over the past, um, you know, we've, we've slowly grown over the past, I think, say three to four years, but over the past, um, 18 months, we've gone kind of from this slow kind of gradual growth to, um, I mean, going to the moon, which is what we hope our crypto does, but different story. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> but so, so we've had this, we've had this tremendous growth and, and while in the past, I think we've looked at, um, we are, we will provide everything. We've got a transition from rescue mode to patient care mode. We've kind of gotten into the mindset of, if you're in rescue mode, we've got other resources available in the area you stay in rescue mode, right? So um, we're evaluating, we, we haven't taken, um, but it's not something that we typically have gone down with an ALS bag because we're in rescue mode. Uh, we're looking at that, I, I would say, and Mike can chime in, but I think we're looking at, you know, do we take, how much do we take down? Because I think you can go down the rabbit hole of, well, what yeah. if they need an IV or what do they need medications or what if they need air? Like you get to a certain point where you go, you can't take everything with you get them in or get in there, get them out and get them to somebody else that's already ready and waiting on the ground. And the guys on the ground that were there have kind of the basic stuff anyway to, to manage them. So we're not taking a whole lot in right now. Um, we're kind of evaluating that internally to figure out how much do you take and do you want to go down that rabbit hole? Yeah. Yeah. So for, so for me coming from a, um, a uh, tech rescue, tactical rescue type world. Um, you know, I I have the stuff that I have on me, on my body, and uh, it's it's pretty much been the same as I operate as a in the tactical world um, on 
my vest and stuff. I have the basics, um, you know, nasal airways, uh, you know, chest decompression type capabilities, um, you know, uh, you know, all the, my stethoscope, um, you know, some, a couple of like mylar blankets, things like that, that I carry with me, um, flashlights and, uh, you know, I'll do the basics for people and, you know, use that as a level one kit until I can get them, you know, where I need to be. Fortunately, you know, with a helicopter hovering above you, you know, you're only a hoist ride away from hopefully more definitive care. So, um, you know, I think that was one of the lessons that I learned uh, getting inserted into this situation was, you know, once I got down to this guy, um, you know, I had a little bit more time uh, with him than I anticipated I would need. And then I started thinking about, well, what, what's going to happen to me if I have to have to haul this guy out of here with these guys? Like what happens if they get a chip light and they can't come back for me or, <laughs> or something yeah. or they they run into another issue? Um, and now I'm four or five hours with this guy hauling him out. So um, I think that, like Kevin said, I think that's something that we have started uh, evaluating um, as far as putting together a, a more uh, definitive kit that we can carry with us. Um, I actually have made up my own um, kit, you know, with a little bit more stuff in it that I can carry just based on that experience, um, you know, to go, to go along with some uh, warmer gear. I can tell you that much. I, yeah. I, um, yeah. you know, we, like I said, we, we're not mountain operation. We don't do mountain operations every day. And um, I can tell you, it's colder at 3,000 feet than it is <laughs> at ground level. Um, so, so, uh, yeah. I, mean, I had I had my standard stuff on, my standard jacket. Um, you know, I, this past year we transitioned to um, massif jackets um, nice. that uh, that are incredible. I mean, those things. I, I don't know how they do it, but. I can, I can never get too cold and I can never get too hot in that thing. I wear it, I wear it, I wear it on every call I go on. And even when I'm in the cabin of the aircraft, you know, and this, this, the shit's on, I'm, I'm as comfortable as I was walking between the aircraft and the ambulance. Uh, so, but, uh, but yeah. So So it's interesting you talk about that uh, as far as like bringing gear down. I, I enjoy this conversation. Um, because a lot of times you start talking to uh, medics and, and people that go down. So I like to bring a, a little bit of gear with me as well. But the question comes to, okay, now you've treated your patient and you're about to get hoisted. Are you riding with the patient or not? And if you're not, is your gear with you or is your gear going with the patient? Because at one point or another, your patient is going to be without something, you know? And it, it's that, it's what if you get a chip light? Like, do you want your gear on the ground or do you want your gear in the air? And it's like, ah, <laughs> you know, do you yeah. bring the O2, like a small O2 bottle and all the airway stuff? Do you bring IV fluids? Do you do you bring enough drugs that you can do everything? You can? I, I mean, I, I know guys that have done, I, I actually talked to Lane Abshire, you know, he came on here and he was telling me about coming off a cruise ship and had, he was bagging the girl as he's getting hoisted up to the aircraft because wow. she was totally totally out you know we got two guys that are on the ground doing the the rescue side and paramedic and the emt um 
So, it, but that's, that is a great question. Great conversation to have first, what are you going to bring and the, what if, and the basic of the, what if is what happens if the helicopter leaves without you or the patient, where's your gear? So yeah. Yeah. Let me know how it goes out for you. All right. Call me later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> man. Wow. Yeah, wow. The what if, man, like, I, I don't know. I, and so right now we haven't, um, we're not doing double ups yet. Um, we hopefully. Don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see it. He's going to say it. Hopefully, fingers crossed, um, in the next six weeks, we're taking delivery of a 412, um, which will change how we operate overall because all, we, we won't have to be as modular. Everything will always be on the aircraft all the time. Double ups will then become an option. And so I think that will also kind of push us towards, all right, how much are we taking down and what are we going to, if you can double up? And I think that's the beauty of having um you know, to a flight paramedic and a flight nurse, if I'm the rescue technician that's inserted and send somebody up, um, but I've got to remain on the ground, Mike can handle them until yeah. he gets to wherever he's going. So um, more to come on that. We'll, we'll see, but hopefully. Man, I, I like, I like where it's going. I like the conversation. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Man. well, I, good for you guys for, for everything you're setting up. And, and actually we're going to, You've got another rescue, like you you touched on a little bit uh, a minute ago there, Kev, and it was based on another like Medal of Valor award that you earned from the state of Virginia for the car in the river. Was that is that accurate? That's Mikey. Yeah, oh, Mike. So that... Sorry, Mike. Mike got that one. Sorry, Mike. I switched you guys. My bad. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was the year. Um, I guess that was two thousand and nineteen. Um, so the year before, uh, maybe two, yeah, 2019, I think it was Hurricane Michael came through and, uh, three, two or three in the morning, uh, some folks tried to drive across a bridge. They weren't, shouldn't have driven across, got, got swept up, trapped and, um, were, uh, three of them standing on top of a car, um, huddled together. Uh, and we went in, um, we did some reconfiguring and we went in and did some pickoffs and short hauls out of there with our basket. Um, and uh, the first time we had used our new basket, which is the kind of the standard, um, you know, uh, those collapsible coast guard? collapsible coast guard. Basket, oh, the, yeah. yeah. The LSC yeah. collapsible rescue basket. Yeah. yeah. Super killer. Love it. Love that. Piece yeah. Of gear. Yeah. Yeah, that was our that was kind of our first uh, first real live rescue with that worked amazing, awesome. They uh, it was a, a fairly open area, didn't have a lot of uh, hang ups or anything like that. Kind of set it set it on set it on set it chain and set it where it needed to be, and uh, we uh, we were in and out. Uh, did three three runs and dropped these guys off, and um, I think one of them ended off up the roof of a car. Yeah, yeah. I think one. I think one of them uh, ended up in a foot pursuit with the cops afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> he might have been wanted. I'm not sure. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was trying to cross the river to get away from it the first time, and then the river won. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness! So, yeah. So, uh, so awesome coordination on that one uh, between localities and us. Uh, um, it was nighttime. Um, you know, so uh, 
great, great, you know, operation by our pilot. Uh, and everybody, everybody came home. So Man, that's awesome. Uh, you guys, do you guys hoist on night vision goggles? So you're actually doing all the hoisting on go- uh, goggles? Yes. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. yeah good for yeah. you guys. Is there a spotlight underneath the aircraft? Like a searchlight? Or... Yeah. We have a, um, on that, on that particular aircraft, we have, uh, you know, under, under body lights, uh, under the aircraft lights that, um, help us, uh, during regular stuff, but we have a night sun that, um, that we can turn on and direct toward a scene, um, which helps, um, you know, uh, not only us, but, you know, ground folks that are looking for, you know, reference points and things, they can see that. And, um, on the new, on our new 407, we went from night suns to uh, rear mounted. So the night suns are mounted up front on the um, old 407s. We transitioned the new um, uh, 407s have uh, tracker beams on them and they're mounted rear mount tracker beams. So haven't had an opportunity to do a lot of um, rescues or any rescues with that new tracker beam. Um, it It's, it's a little bit different than operating. I felt like that night sun, uh, where it was positioned, we got used to that. And uh, it's going to take yeah. a little bit of getting used to this tracker beam. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Then, yeah. Got to just change it out. It's like upgrading your yeah. iPhone. You're like, it's I right. Get to, yeah. I get to a home yeah. screen. What the heck? What is right. this swipe stuff? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Right on. Well, all right. So you guys have been working together for quite a while. So you guys actually do cases together. Uh, quite it, whether it's scene calls and stuff. What stands out in your head right now? There's just one or two that you might yeah. have. Yeah, I'll tell you, we, um, Kevin and I, we, uh, for a while, it seemed like we were, um, we always had something. It was always something, uh, you know, it's, and, you know, as, as critical and as acute and as, um, you know, uh, intricate as some of these cases we go on medical wise are, there's always, there's always ones you, you know, so when we get to an ambulance, we, we kind of attack, we have kind of a strategic, one of us will go in the back door of the ambulance and one of us comes in the side door of the ambulance. So we kind of surround them. And, um, and uh, whoa, whoa, the guy whoa, that comes come from yeah. direction. <laughs> yeah, so, and people have gotten used to that. So the guy that comes in the side door is the, uh, the airway guy and kind of takes the brunt of the report while yeah. the guy that comes in the back door starts kind of, doing things you know and uh you know there there are definitely calls where you both come in and you know you know it's on and then there's calls where you come in and you kind of look at each other and you are kind of you know (laughs) i think there's i think there's an always i think there's always a story and a um a learning point and uh i felt i felt like for a while we uh we we had our share of characters but we also had our share of um uh, of, uh, uh, sick patients. We had a, we had a patient one day that, um, we had, we had done everything right. It was, it was going well. Um, and, uh, loading people in that four or seven always, um, adds a, a element of surprise at times, depending on how many people you have helping you kind of how large the patient is, that sort of thing. And as we loaded this lady in the helicopter, uh, the crew kind of gave us a, you know, thanks, started walking away. And just about that time, I'm off of comms at that point. Kevin is in the aircraft. He starts kind of waving to me 
and we realized she's in V-fib. <gasps> oh. um, so we quickly got the um, pads hooked up, which we had out already because uh, she was having a pretty significant um, uh, STEMI. And we, uh, we shocked her right there at the side of the aircraft and uh, got her back. So I start, wa- I start waving at the crew and they reciprocate by <laughs> like, see ya. See you guys. Yeah. Bye. I'm yeah. Yeah. So I gave, the, I, gave, I gave the universal CPR sign. They came running back. We load, we load her up in the ambulance, end up RSI in her, um, stabilizing wow. her, stabilizing her, getting her to the hot, to our, uh, one of our comprehensive cardiac centers and, um, uh, making the save and, uh, had, that was, you know, successful, successful case under, um, you know, austere conditions, uh, you know, at the side of the aircraft. So, uh, you know, it's just stuff like that. Um, you know, but, uh, I, th- I think, I think at times it's, you know, the, the people that you meet and, you know, the, the family members that you meet and the family dynamics and the cases that you run, whether they're critical or moderately critical, that, uh, that definitely, uh, you know, make the difference sometimes, um, you know, you see the, you see the, the worst of, worst of people and the best of people at times, um, yeah. you know, we yeah. do, we do, we do a lot of, um, we do a lot of, uh, uh, of calls involving, you know, violence, um, you know, we have fairly violent areas right around Richmond here, you know, a lot of gunshots, um, a lot of gang related stuff, um, and a lot of, a lot of people that have found themselves in positions that, um, you know, they, um, they can't get out of, you know, they've, they've caught the, 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 the drug or the money or the gang life. And it's, you know, but, you know, you, you do the, you do what you can for everybody the same way. And, um, you know, everything presents a challenge, um, both emotionally, mentally, and physically, and, you know, you make the best of it, but, um, I'll let Kevin, I'll let Kevin talk about a couple. He, um, <laughs> Co- well, a couple I, I mean, that I'm stand like, out. I, I'm a, I keep it going, man. Come on. I'm loving this. <laughs> Make your podcast been run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance. Go ahead. What, what do you got for us? Yeah. So I, I've been a paramedic for, um, almost 24 years, um, and been a nurse for 19 years. Oh my gosh, I'm getting old. <clears throat> anyway, and but I won't this tell guy anyone. Was, I won't say a word. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that on a podcast. But, <laughs> hey, it is what it is, man. I'm young at heart. I would tell you um, I'm going to delete that, but I'm not. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so you got this patient. You got heart, heart problems. <laughs> yeah. So we, we get called out for a guy having a heart attack and, um, go down it was probably a 15 minute flight 15 20 minute flight to pick him up we get to where he's at the ems crew had done a great job and um so we get in there and you know our goal skids down to skids up is 10 minutes get in get your assessment get your patient load them up get out within 10 that's kind of the goal and it's usually pretty doable so this guy um is you know when you when you go through school and they say that you know uh, tombstone 
T-way or tombstone T-waves or ST segments, you know, those are the ones you, you really got to watch out for. And they are, uh, but it's not always the presentation that you would expect. You know, you, you think if this guy's having huge ST segment changes and he's having this massive heart attack and he's sweaty and he's pale and he's hypotensive, like that's a guy that's going to arrest on you, which is not always the case. Yeah. Hey, uh, guy, hold on. I, I let me help, let me help everybody that, that's not a nurse or a paramedic out with everything you just said. The short version of that is when you hook them up to a monitor, you've got the yeah that little thing right there so there's 12 of those in little different screens it's known as a 12 lead in that 12 lead you have different spots that it's looking on the heart it's taking a different picture of the heart so when you have st elevation there's the pqrst and there's elevation on one side or the other which tells you you have a heart attack or a STEMI, and that's what you're trying to treat with all these drugs medication advanced life support Blah, 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 blah. How was that? Was that pretty good? Tony, you're good. I, I mean, almost know what I'm talking about. You're impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so that's to explain to everybody else, like, what exactly uh, Kevin's talking about here. Okay. You got a guy. Tombstones. T-waves. So we got a guy. We got tombstones. But he looks okay. He's, his pain is not bad. He's, you know, on a pain scale of 1 to 10, 1 being Hardly any pain at all. Ten being the worst pain you could ever imagine. He was at like a five. I mean, not not bad. Very tolerable. But knew he was having a heart attack. <clears throat> he knew he was having a heart attack. He's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I told him. Yeah. Oh, you told him. Oh, I thought he told you. He was like, listen, son, I'm having a heart attack right now. <laughs> Sorry. And when they do that, that you know, they say this felt just like my last heart attack. That's you know, that's a that's what we call a clue. <laughs> oh my god so the um i'm gonna give more clarity for your listeners now the you. you know the the pads the defibrillator pad or pads or paddles where they go clear and shock well it's pretty much gone hands-free now so they're just pads you put these pads on the patient and depending on where the heart attack is based off of looking at that 12 lead which you so beautifully described earlier Depending on where it is and how the patient looks, sometimes I will preemptively just put the pads on the patient for the transport, just in case I might need them. Yep, smart move. Sometimes I'll pull them out and have them at my side. Sometimes I just go ahead and put them on and save a little bit of time. So, like I said, we have a probably a 20 to 25 minute flight back to the hospital. We load this guy up. We give him a little bit, bit of pain medication. We run through the whole chest pain protocol. He'd had his nitroglycerin. He'd had his aspirin, all these things to help buy his cardiac muscle some time before we get to the hospital because he ultimately needs a cardiac cath catheterization. Smooth flight. No problem. He was pain had gone down to like a three. And I'm sitting at his head in the 407 and I'm looking up our monitors mounted directly over the patient's um, waist. And so I'm, I'm flying, you know, airway seat, my partner's at the right. And I look up and he goes into V-fib and which is a, it's where your heart basically says, I'm done. You're, you're, I'm dead. And you get a, you get a little bit of time where it, it, it doesn't, the top part doesn't speak to the bottom part and it just kind of goes in crazy rhythm and, and you can shock it. You can defibrillate it to get it out of that back into a normal rhythm. 
So we did. The pads were already hooked up. Nice. Try to stimulate, make sure, check, do all the things, charge, shock. I'm clear. You're clear. Everybody's clear. Shock. Boom. He go. He. Oh my god. <laughs> he like jumps up. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. He's like, what the hell was that? I said, you. I'm trying to explain to you. Your, your heart stopped there for a second, buddy. We were. We kind of shock it back in place. You okay? He's like, yeah, I'm. I'm okay. I'm. Yeah, I'm fine. 30 seconds later, he goes into V-fib again, goes completely unresponsive, lay the head of the stretcher back again, charging, I'm clear, you're clear, hit him again. Oh, my gosh, wakes wide awake again. So now you're oh, thinking, in the helicopter all the way to the hospital. I love the it. Hospital, <laughs> on ICS, so my pilot can hear um, everything that's going on in the back. And at this point, we said, hey, Dave, um, how close is the next closest hospital instead of the one we had intended to going in, intended to going to? So, at this point, you're thinking this he needs an antiarrhythmic, right? Yeah. And and amiodarone is the is the primary antiarrhythmic. But for those of you that don't know, if if you've ever tried to pull up amiodarone, if you you have to pull it up very gingerly and very slowly for your bolus, because if not, you get this big giant syringe of bubbles. It's very, it's yes. very soapy like. So it has to be very tailored and slow and nice and cautious and not rushed. And in a helicopter where you don't have a lot of space, I, one of my coworkers um, calls it the, the the junk drawer mode, where you <laughs> When, when the hell in the back of a 407, when you get everything out, when you get one or two things out, it's everything is everywhere and there's nowhere to move. So we've gone full on junk drawer. And when you're full on junk drawer, you, you just, you don't have room to pull things up, but it, it's very, very busy. 20 seconds later, he goes into V-fib again, unresponsive, like out, V-fib, dead. Shock him again, oh, <clears throat> wakes up. <laughs> By the, seventh, by the seventh time of him doing this. Oh, my God, dude, what? <laughs> seven times he would go into V-fib. My partner's is like quickly, cautiously, slowly trying to pull up the amiodarone so we can give him a bolus all the time. It, like every time he would go into V-fib, we'd shock him, hoping that he would come right back out of it, but also thinking we've got a lot of other things to do after that, so <laughs> by the seventh time, uh, we had diverted and landed at a, another closer hospital to get some more assistance and space and room. And he said, oh, time number seven, he goes into V-fib again. And at some point, like over the years of doing this, at some point, they don't, they don't come back out of it. They don't wake back up. Right. I mean, seven right. times is the most I have ever done where I have shocked them, they've woken up, shocked them, they've woken up. I mean, it's, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you in your first one, you might, you might not have it maxed all the way out. The, the, depending on what you're using, whether it's Zoles or uh, life pack, like you can have, it, right. you can have it at a lower setting, boom, shock them. They come back. Then you turn it up. If they go into VFib again, until you get that 360 or 360 on the life pack and 300 on the Zole. Yeah, um, I, yeah. The, unless you're biphasic. If you're biphasic, it's um, 
120, 150. Yeah, okay. But yeah. And so the seventh time we're, we're on final to the hospital, um, which is not far from the, the original hospital, but again, needing more help, more room. They had a cath lab. Maybe we just go here and, and you know, get this guy the help he needs. The seventh time he goes out again and, and <laughs> we charge it and shock it again. And he wakes up and part of my language, earmuffs kids, if kids are listening, he goes, son of a bitch. What are you guys doing to me? <laughs> and I said, buddy, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know that hurts. He's like, hurt? I don't, why do you keep doing this? <laughs> so we tried to explain to him, sir, your, your heart has stopped seven times now. And we were able to shock you back into a normal rhythm each time he's like i'm glad to be done with you guys <laughs> uh, hey, sorry sorry pal yeah um, and yeah so somewhere in that time period he got and and back and forth of defibrillations he got a dose of amiodarone which significantly helped his <laughs> his uh refractory uh v-fib stents and uh but he, you know, he was not very happy. And it was, it was just a, it was a pretty impressive story because it was the first time in my career where I've, I've shocked people a lot of times, many, many times, but never seven times in a row where, where they have gone unconscious. You shock them, they wake up and, and go, what are you doing? Why'd you do that? That hurt. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. That's good. I like that. <laughs> now we have, you know, you talk about the teamwork aspect of it. What I think what's really neat is in, in those crazy situations, um, you know, the guy that um, that tried to commit suicide, gun under the chin, but doesn't doesn't successfully complete it, and just causes massive airway trauma. But he's he's essentially awake and trying to converse with you and and can follow commands. You know, the, the crazy, hairy situations where I can I can look at Mike or I can I can say one word and he knows what I'm thinking. I know what he's thinking. It's this it's this communication without verbs or without words. Um, yeah. And I can say, hey, and he goes, yep. And you just or. <laughs> just, 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 no that's not gonna happen no. hey how about no yeah because some i get that more often than not yeah, yeah. usually for my wife i love her but no yeah yeah no because a lot because a lot of times a lot of times you want you 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 want the people that call you to have this warm and fuzzy feeling about what what you're going to do what you think and how confident you are about this and sometimes just the body language and the looks to each other allow you not to allow you not to admit to certain things you know in, in front of people that you know you want to instill confidence in you know sort of thing so man yeah, that's funny being able to look at mike and go hey and he goes nope and then go mm -hmm. okay <laughs> and we we've just carried on a full conversation in three words. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's what we can do. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I can't give me, give me one more. Just one more. Cause I'm, I'm Jonesing. I'm Jonesing. One more story. And then we're going to, we're going to get into one more thing, which is training. All right. 
All right. So, um, all right. So real quick. So he and I, again, which for a while there seemed to be, while Mike was always getting the voice calls or the search and rescue calls all the time, when he and I work a shift, it, it's usually, you know, hold on because it's going to get crazy. So we, um, this guy had uh, taken a header off of a bridge um, and in, into a lake. Um, they recover him from the lake. And, you know, for, for anybody that doesn't know, like airway management, one of the things you do is always protect the teeth um, as, as best you can. I mean, you, you, you know, stay off the teeth when you're doing innovation skills, stay off the teeth. Um, I'm, I'm assuming this gentleman had some type of um, drug history just based off of the assessment that we found. And the so, dentation. Dentation. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're doing, um, we're, we're, we decided, we, you know, he's unresponsive. Uh, we're going to do a rapid sequence innovation and there's pre-oxygen, we're doing our pre-oxygenation, apneic oxygenation stuff is on. Um, and they had, I, I think they had a nasal cannula, but it was on it wasn't on correctly. So when I, <laughs> I'm getting all my airway stuff ready. And uh, when I, when I, I kind of pulled the nasal cannula off to put it on correctly. And when I did, it snagged a tooth that was already loose and hanging and flung it like towards by Mike's head. Who's at the foot. And he's like, what? I was like, Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a tooth. Like, what did you do? I was like, I didn't, I'm just, I'm, it was already out. I didn't. I didn't damage it. I didn't do. I haven't even gone in yet. <laughs> yeah, no blade in hand yet. <laughs> that was a nasal cannula. It wasn't even. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't even a you know piece of equipment. Um, yeah, that that particular day, I think um, I think we had each innovated a couple of people or at least one person. Um, and this this call that Kevin was talking about was it was like at four or five in the morning on our offgoing morning. And we had started running calls at probably, so we were, we were 24s, 24 hour shifts. So we had started running calls in the morning, the day before, and we had probably run six calls. Um, you know, uh, I think a hanging, uh, several motor vehicle crashes. I mean, and this was just the culmination. I mean, we, we both hadn't been to sleep yet. Um, you know, and I think anything you do that has a, uh, um, a sick comedic value to it at times. Um, but you know, a one, one to, to, add to, 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 to add to Kevin's, um, we, uh, just to end, I guess, with, a, as far as calls go with, a um, a more critical one, we, we started, um, back several years ago, um, carrying, uh, blood products on our helicopters. Okay. So, so we carry, um, two units of pack red blood cells, ONA, um, which has transformed our program tremendously from our capability standpoint. Um, we go a lot of places and, um, you know, for the, for the blood part of it, you know, people, you know, uh, meet us, you know, uh, 20 minutes from the hospital as they're coming up the road, we land. Sometimes we just jump on with them, start blood on people um, and just keep going. Um, but, we, uh, Kevin and I had the opportunity to go to a fairly close county here, um, you know, back several years ago. Uh, I say several years ago, I can't even remember, but a guy had tried to drive around the traffic stop um, on his motorcycle and hit a, hit a truck head on. Um, 
took his took his uh, left leg off at like mid thigh and angulated this right leg and it was um he was in bad shape and we made the decision to um start resuscitating him with blood which was the right thing to do and get him to uh, the closest hospital where we could potentially get more blood just because we um we have been over the years um uh our assigned people you know on a fairly regular basis but um, it really wasn't it's up until we started getting blood that we started truly um, being able to uh, resuscitate people the right way um, before we, uh, we sedated them. So uh, we we were like, listen, we need to we need to do resuscitation on this guy. We got him to the ER um, and then basically uh, the ER there just said, have have this room. Uh, it's your, you guys call, we, um, we, uh, we'll help you. And the doctor actually left the room, kind of gave us the, the floor and all of his nurses to help us. And we kind of just directed everybody around. So, um, you know, which sounds odd, but, um, we find ourselves sometimes in, in some of those situations where we'll go to some of these more rural ERs and they don't want to have anything to do with, um, intubating people or giving people different medications, yeah. giving blood, yeah. stuff like that. So, um, so we ended up getting this gentleman to, um, drove him there, resuscitated him, uh, intubated him, got everything we needed going. I think we ended up getting five to six units of blood in him, um, at the ER in addition to our two and then flew him and then flew him to the level one trauma center where he um, ultimately survived, um, ended up, you know, losing that left leg, but um, it was a, uh, a very successful, you know, um, call just based on the fact that he uh, um, was, uh, was in, in definitely some peril uh, when we got to him, so. Well, the left leg, that, or the, uh, the leg that was amputated, and they told us it was amputated, and you look down, and I think it was cold, so they had blankets on, and we're looking, and the, the leg was was gone. It wasn't there. Like you know, he's on a backboard. He's immobilized, and it it wasn't there. Um, and we're you know we're we hadn't gotten to like a detailed secondary survey, right? I mean, we're doing resuscitation, and we're getting lines put in, and and we're working on airway control, and and we get to the hospital and get him over to the bed. We're we're getting more stuff going, and I was like, why is it, why is he sitting on this? Why is his shoe? under his back somebody and I couldn't pull the shoe out from underneath like the small of his back I was like it you know there's sort of was a shoe well it was still attached to his leg that was folded up under him twisted oh. around <laughs> so it, oh. it was there it was there it was it was there but it wasn't there like it was amputated just you know, a little bit but it was tucked up under him and I of course didn't realize it until I tried to pull the shoe out which is still attached to the leg that was twisted up under him so oh my gosh Craziness, man. Crazy. That's 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 why I love this job. I mean, you you never know, you never know what it's going to be. Yeah, you yeah. never know. You never know what you're yeah. going to get. <laughs> <laughs> Tones go off, and you're like, "Let's do this." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then you then you end up chasing some guy through the snow that just robbed the Seven Eleven, and um, <laughs> you find you find him because his footprints 
on Fleer are still light, lit up in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I love a Fleer. That is yeah. awesome. It, yeah, in on, in your uh, in your infer you you're looking you're looking you're like hey man those they're footprints and they go to that shed over there. <laughs> oh, I freaking love it! Man, that's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Let's uh let's move forward a little bit because I want to talk a little bit about training. So we're gonna give a mad shout out to SR Three Rescue Concepts right now because you guys have them come out and give you some training. So. Uh, Dave Cowan on this podcast, Pat Marver on this podcast, Rob Bunday on this podcast were your three instructors and a shout out to my daughter, Haley Quinn. She was there as well as an uh, yeah. observer or trainee. We're going to call her uh, picture <laughs> media taker. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys had a chance to meet my daughter and, and get some good training. So one of the things I'd like to really touch on more than anything else is your program, and you just talked about it earlier, your program is kind of shooting to the moon. You guys are making big changes um, with your hoist and your the way you do rescue in general. But give me a rundown as far as before the training, during the training, and now. That would be, that would be awesome. Like, how do you guys feel about it? Um, so full disclaimer, um, I'm not being paid. Neither one of us are being paid or compensated by anybody, any product or, uh, or, or <laughs> whatever. <company. laughs> but I, I, so I first came to know about SR3, um, at the Heli Expo rescue summit. This is several many years ago. I met Dave Callen, Dave, who used to work for Las Vegas Metro PD was giving a lecture about an accident they had at the time. Um, actually, for those of you that don't know, SR3 is named after um, one of their coworkers. That was his call sign. Um, who was who was um, fatally injured in that that accident. So, with uh, with Las Vegas Metro. This, so this is all when he was in Las Vegas Metro Police Department. They named the company after Dave. Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, and um, so when he was with Las Vegas Metro PD, and kind of that mindset, that police department mindset of, um, you know, that when a new guy would come in, the veteran would train him up, and then that person would then become an instructor, and then that person would train the next person, and there was never any formalized training process. And the more Dave talked about, um, kind of their, their, their history, their, their culture kind of where they were and and yeah. how they came to be and what happened um it 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 really resonated with me it really it it felt like he was speaking about our agency <laughs> like he was looking in your eye and saying was, kevin like, listen to the words that are coming out of you. my mouth <laughs> this is for you <laughs> thank you Dave. thank you thank you mr dave cowan <laughs> Dave, oh man, Dave Callen, Dave <laughs> Callen, Pat Barber, Rob Monday, those guys, <laughs> love them, man. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, so um, that's how I kind of came to know those guys, and, and um, just jumped into the hoist world altogether, learning anything and everything that I could, and thought, man, why did we've never had a formalized training program. We've never had any, any, um, an audit or a formalized training, anything. Let's, maybe we should look into that. Smart move. 
<laughs> Step one, smart. Step one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we, uh, like, oh, wait a minute. Let, let's take that for a second because you <laughs> you you got you got to take a step back for a minute and you got to look at internally at the program at what you guys are doing and this is for everybody out there. Take a step back for one second. And be like, man, have we ever actually asked for somebody else's help? Hey, maybe we should. You might not learn a thing, but you may take one thing away and mind blown. And do you know how hard that is to to clean out your own closet, to look at yourself and go, we can do this better. can, Can we make ourselves better? Is there a better, safer, more practical, more efficient, smoother way to do this? And, um, and that's what we did uh, over, you know, th- this is a process that's taken several years, but we've, we kind of broke it down and, and uh, broke open the books and SR3 came in and did their audit, uh, did a two day audit and gave us uh, great recommendations on, on what they thought we should change and what they thought we should look at doing differently. And it, it was overall, oh, and then, then so we have six, no, not six, two six-day courses with them. Um, one for the eastern side of the state, one for the western side of the state. Knocked out uh, pr- probably 80 to 90% of our staff um, in that training. And I mean, it was, it was, it was incredible. Beginning to end, man, like it was, it was, crawl, walk, run, um, and did everything from looking at equipment to processes to um, procedures, what you can do. Uh, those, like the combination of those three guys between Rob and Pat and Dave, um, like <laughs> Uncle like Pat, and that's uh, Uncle Pat. I, 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 I got to say, Uncle Pat. <laughs> um, I love me some Pat Barber. Um, but yeah, it's it's really just um, you don't know what you don't know, and, and when you look at what we've been doing compared to this training now that we had and and where we're headed, it's it's like all right, you don't know what you don't know, and and the things that we have learned and the things that we are now able to incorporate in not only our training but daily operations, um, addition of equipment, um, and and the safety. The checklist and, and this, the variety of things I could go on and on about what they introduced to our program that has continued to push it forward in a, in a positive manner. So we've got a lot of room to grow, man. We, we're like I said, we were kind of, you know, bouncing across the hills for a while, had some progress. Uh, but but for the past year, it's a uh, doge going to the moon where <laughs> we're. <laughs> The, the hoist program is really just elevated and, and we're looking to just continue that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I definitely, uh, you know, speaking to, um, you know, the, the way we used to do things, uh, it wasn't the wrong way, but I think there were a lot of better ways. And, um, you know, we, uh, you know, my guys mentioned before we traditionally were, you know, a skid pickoff, um, type operation, um, primarily, 
if we had to put the hoist cable down anywhere, it had to be a, you know, open football field or something. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of like, you know, tight insertions or anything like that. Um, and I can tell you after six days of um, flying with Pat in my pocket and Rob in my pocket and, you know, just the, the tutelage and the confidence building and, you know, crawl, walk, run, you know, by that last day, I mean, you know, we were, you know, I would have, I would have flown and put the, gone down and put the hoist cable down, you know, in a quarter size area. If, um, if that's what, that wouldn't, that's what needed to be done. It was, um, it was, it was night and day. It was awesome. I mean, we uh, just, you know, the skills were one thing, but I think just the mental and psychological confidence that uh, grew over those, over those days from just, uh, you know, their, their teaching and, um, you know, uh, confidence uh, building, you know, lectures and skill sets and things that they showed us. It was, you know, profound. So. Man, that's awesome. I, you know, and okay. So my heart, I, I love SR3, you know, like, and I, it, like I said, shout out to them. Um, but anybody out there, I, I'm highly recommending external training. Like it is, it's something when you have somebody else come in and evaluate a program, check it out, you know, give you tips and tricks, give you ideas. It's tools in the toolbox. It's going from a light on wheel landing or skids on or toe in to now all of a sudden you have a hoist to now all of a sudden, instead of an open field, you're going to that super confined area. It, it makes a difference. And again, you don't know what you don't know. And then once you start yeah. learning, you're like, Oh, Oh, this is, this is good. And then you start learning more and, practicing more, trying more, you know, everything in and, a safe manner. So, and, I, and I'll tell you, if you, one thing, I, one thing that I took away from this, um, uh, the SR3 stuff that I would, if anybody out there is looking to um, find somebody to do external training with is um, uh, bring a pilot, um, like bring, we did, we did, you know, Dave up front with our pilot and, Rob and Pat in the back with our hoist guys, and we simultaneously trained um, both on the pilot side as well as the hoist operator side. And um, it was, uh, you know, it really it it not only I think developed our confidence, but it also developed our um, you know uh, our relationships between our our hoist guys and our pilots, and kind of we each had an opportunity to learn a lot about ourselves by going through this, but learn a lot from each other because we had those, we had Dave up front kind of prompting and Pat in the back kind of prompting and it, and it opened things up a lot. So. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and from what I understand, you know, just in conversation offline and whatnot, you guys have, have done a phenomenal job uh, with everything that you've gone to and where you're at now. So mad props for, for taking that leap and, and make a changes to your own program. Cause I know there are a lot of people out there that are like, Oh, I don't need that. You know, I'm not going to make that change or I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. I'm all about tools in the toolbox. And if I'm not learning every day, it's time to hang it up. That's what I say. Yeah. So, well, I can tell you one thing, another additional thing that we learned um, back in, uh, we went and did a, um, uh, uh, something at echo this past year related to our hoist stuff. Um, just kind of where, where we were, where we are and where we're going. And um, it, it was amazing 
to get out there and interact with people all over the country um, on the hoist side of things and find out that, you know, we're not alone. You know, we're not we're not the only ones that, you know, have a program that is in need of refinement or, you know, you know, some of the some of these places you go to and you're like, hey, man, yeah, that's where we were a year ago. Well, that's where we are now. Or, you know, that's where we want to be. And um, I think after our lecture, we we had so much off off script conversations with people about, you know, how we how we did what we did, where we're going, what we plan on doing sort of thing that um, it, it I think it opened everybody's eyes to, you know, the possibilities of, you know, new and different relationships with other programs across the country, kind of learning from each other, figuring out, you know, kind of, you know, where we go from here. So it's intimidating, man. Like I, I remember the first um, the first rescue summit I went to uh, and, and going to these conferences where you hear people talk and, and you know, the, the, the um, Travis counties and the Air Zermatt and, and oh, the Coast Guard oh, guys. And, and you look at our program and, and you listen to those things and go, God, I can't, I can't hang with these guys. I mean, these, this is, these guys are doing this all the time and they're, these stories that they're telling. Uh, and so it's super intimidating, but what we've learned is just, just jump in it, like jump in and learn as much as you can and be willing to absorb it and bring it in and go, you know what, maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a different way. Um, and how, how can you, how can you be better? I mean, I don't, I think if you're not, constantly evaluating what you can do as a person personally and professionally to be better um, you're stagnant. So looking at, you know, like Mike said, when we gave that presentation at echo um, last year, realizing, wow, we're not, we're not alone in this. And there are other programs out there that are looking to grow. And and so just trying to take the little bit that we've learned and are continuing to do and help people out where we can, man, it's it's intimidating, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta jump in it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And we got to hang with SR3 on the Gulf Coast of Florida. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I'll touch on one other thing following with this conversation is, you know, I, I wish I wish that the rescue world would, would do a similar side of like the, the medicine world where it's the practice of medicine. They, you know, they call it the practice of medicine because they're constantly evolving. They're trying something. They're changing from one thing or another or adding something. You know, you, I remember when I first went through medic, they're talking a lot about morphine, morphine, and then it was like um, fentanyl, fentanyl. And now it's a lot of ketamine, ketamine, you know, but you still use all three. It's, it's that practice and trying. And, and I wish rescue was the similar aspect, whereas a practice of rescue. Hey, let's try a litter. Let's try a rescue basket. Let's try the hot seat. Let's try the A-bed. Let's try the Bowman bag. Let's try the pet bag. Let's try a quick drop. You know, what is the best tool in the toolbox to use in order to get the job done safely and effectively? And there's not enough conversation about it. Your basic hoist class that you guys just went through, you know, that crawl, walk, run. You went from an open field to that confined area. That's in six days. Like the it was crazy. It was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and confident enough at the end of that six days to go, Oh yeah, I can. Okay. I'll insert you down that through that, you know, three foot wide tree canopy. Or, I mean, if looking at something previously that I would have thought there's no way in hell you're going to have to get them to a more open area. 
I, we can't do that. To Pull now the chainsaws out. Uh, yeah, right, right. Don't tell the forest now, service. <laughs> I mean, now, um, now I think cable length was a factor for the, the voice call we discussed earlier, our cable yeah, length. Yeah. But now I, I've, the national forest would appreciate us because I don't think there'd be a need to cut down trees. I can awesome. don't, no worry. I can drop you down right through that. So, um, and I think you're right. We, and that's what I love about going to conferences and, and having, you know, echo has done some, um, I think some pretty good work with expanding the, the kind of law enforcement SAR track, um, HAI and rescue summit that they've had in the past. I, I think that's where you really learn those things. What works better, but the principles, the, that, the principles and the safety and the those are the the key things I think any program has got to have and probably one of the most beneficial pieces that I took away you know at the, at the end of that six days when I can fly with a nurse as my hoist operator who we don't we don't ever work nurse nurse it's always nurse medic Mike and I but to be able to fly with a pilot I've never flown with uh, a nurse that I've never flown with and to go through the communication the procedures and trust fully as I was the rescue specialist and looked up and went, I'm not so sure about, no, she's got me. Like That's that was awesome. the, the confidence and the, the, the uniformity and standardization of it was, no, she's got this. She can put me down through this, you know, two foot wide tree can. We're good. So yeah, man, it was, it was awesome. I, I love SR3. I think what those guys do and present and how they do it is phenomenal. But um, for anybody listening, if you, like you said, if you haven't done it, um, do it it's it's worth it's weight and gold yeah definitely wait guys i have taken a ton of your time I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing the stories giving the advice it has been an absolute pleasure to have you guys on uh i i will be in virginia soon and when i get there you know i'm calling you i'm just throwing that out you there call me up dude yeah. we'll, we'll go out uh, we'll have a beer and uh, and talk some more with stuff. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we'll be upset if you don't. Uh, uh, duly noted. All right, that's, I'm sending the message right now. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Hey man, thanks for having us. I super appreciate uh, you having us on and the time and and just giving us this opportunity on your platform. I think it's great what you're doing. So thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank oh, you. my thank pleasure. You. My pleasure. Awesome. Well, I'll be in touch, guys. I promise. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com that's jason at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q.com you can also check us out on our web pages therealrescue.com our facebook page and our instagram page at the real rescue again a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today always remember when that star alarm goes off those in distress are praying for a miracle they are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>